basically, um, we were in a car together, we were driving through Wales and we tried to perform an overtaking <laughs> manoeuvre that was very ill-advised. And um, Who was driving? Uh, James. James. And um, yeah, we got hit by a car and we got dragged in front of a lorry and just, it was a really big catastrophic ca- crash. But as I say, I talked about it quite a lot, like on stage and oh, in another podcast and stuff. But basically it was miraculous that no one was harmed. Really miraculous. And we all were so shocked afterwards and for a long while it affected me in loads of ways like really weird to have such a like near-death experience but one that was so lucky like normally in a crash like that you know you would expect to be injured or something and that would be your near-death thing but we all walked out of it completely fine and it was weird like for a while I didn't trust buildings I thought buildings were going to collapse got very panicky in cars very panicky on trains um it made me stop dieting just changed my attitude about food. I, before the crash, I've been chatting with a friend of mine who's this wonderful woman. She's like an absolute hero of mine, like a substitute parent figure of mine. And she um, and I went for this long walk. She's uh, quite a fair bit older than me. And we met when I was a teenager. When she was in comedy, she was in her 30s and I was in my teens. She's always been in my life. I just really love her. And we had a long chat about like life and death and about eating and what that meant. And like I'd been going through some problems. Like I think the stress of touring a few stressful things it meant that I'd like had a bit of disordered eating I was like really punishing myself and stuff anyway then we all nearly died and then that night we ordered a big Chinese food and takeaway and like loads of chocolate and booze and it was like the celebration of being alive this little switch went in my head and went I am never going to deprive myself again I'm never going to treat myself as if I'm an unfinished product again and I don't want to restrict my life in this way that's so unhelpful I don't want to see exercise as this thing that if I don't do enough I'm not allowed to do what I want and it's weird because now I think I eat healthier than ever and in some ways my I do follow a kind of diet regime because like I tend to eat the same sort of things for breakfast I tend to always have like salads for my lunch and my dinner this is so boring no, but no, what no. it comes down to is that like I now my whole focus in my life is on looking after myself and loving myself in a way that it wasn't so much before. And I think that was the start of it. And also I think it sent me a bit crazy because I ended up leaving a partner quite abruptly because I was like, life's too short. Oh, it's not working. I think the perspective I have now is possibly that I would have stayed for another year and worked on it. Wow. But um, I didn't. And you cannot change the past. But it was full on. It affected me massively. It was... It was sort of, I really felt I was confronted by the, f- the little line that you're on between being alive and no longer being alive. And, um, and it really, yeah, it made me change my life in a little bit of a dynamic way, yeah. And yeah. is that still ongoing? Or could, would you go back to how you were like before the crash? Do you think it's permanent, that change, that it's altered something permanently? I don't know. I don't know. I know it was a big affecting thing. I think maybe it has altered something in me, just in terms of, not boring, but like run-of-the-mill daily things. Like, And I also started going to therapy around that time. So I think the two things have definitely joined in. But like with therapy, it's taken me from being somebody who was full of anxiety on a daily basis to somebody who, when I feel anxiety now, I sort of say to myself, this is anxiety. And it helps. And on the whole, like, I had all these issues about food and eating and about beating myself up, like, mm. physically hating on myself, like, really being angry with aggressive with my body and doing exercise to the extent that it was, like, quite masochistic almost. Right. Whereas now I just, like, 
I just focus on feeling healthy and joyful and stuff in this way like personally that I think has yeah. been really great and has really changed it's really extraordinary when you get like in touch with because I, I believe that deep down inside our bodies know exactly what they want yeah what they want to do and the few times you can that's why I'm so furious when whenever I'm in the gym and they have like the the machines that count calories and how long oh you've run so counterproductive. And, oh, I, I just want to hide it all and just this should be it shouldn't there shouldn't be anything there there should just be a you know yeah. like a note saying how does this feel huh. <laughs> how does but, your body feel now yeah yeah and also like it's it's about pushing yourself personally and obviously those things don't necessarily mean anything realistic like mm. you can go oh but 35 calories it's like <laughs> no they just kind of had to assume that a person vaguely of your size mm. and weight might do that if mm. they worked in a certain way yeah and it's so silly but it's the same with dieting like if you have to eat a certain thing mm. and your body's going mate i don't need that i need some iron yeah. can you get me some iron you know? my best friend eats like that like she's the only person i've ever met who's able to she's i don't know what happened but she's somewhat has dodged that whole thing so she will just go what do I feel like eating and mm. she'll be like oh blueberries and salmon and then she'll buy that and she'll mindfully eat it and then just that's kind oh, of what I do I've now. had six blueberries and I've, but that's almost impossible having reached that like it, having been like brainwashed by yeah. and also like so in my life growing up I from the age of five it was decided and put upon me that I had a weight problem mm. and that was far greater than the reality of what my body was yeah. you know and the reality of whatever genuine problem I had yeah and all of the hysteria of the way perhaps parents interact the way perhaps schools interact with it mm. all of that exacerbated it and made it an issue and damaged my health and mm. damaged my relationship with food yeah and now I'm 34 and I feel like I finally have a pleasant unstressful relationship with food that's amazing you know? that's really good but it's partly because I nearly died, <laughs> like, you know? I mean, but from, so from an outsider perspective, worth it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> worth it. But, um, yeah, I was thinking about, like, when you were talking to me about doing this, I was thinking about, like, the ideas of, like, what well-being is yeah. and stuff. And I suppose that's why I've just gone straight into yeah, focusing no, on, like, exercise, food. But, like, I, um, I'm really evangelical about how much exercise and diet and sleep and all these beautiful sensorial basic things mm. affect your whole quality of life for the better you know because we've, we've been we're basically being taught to not listen to our bodies mm -hmm. you know it's like it's called cheat days which is like the uh, bad thing and that's when you eat what you want to eat yeah. well it's just this weird fucked up notion that like whatever we really want isn't the case like sleeping in you know laziness being a word that exists yeah, and not just maybe you're yeah. tired yeah your body needs to rest yeah. you don't want to go or well, maybe you're somebody for whom life is very very intense and so you get very exhausted like some people oh, work yeah. at different pitches to each other yeah you know and then it's like well because you can't function on four hours sleep like me you're a horrible <laughs> lazy person it's like or like I definitely used to because I used to think I possibly did. Um, I used to think I had like ADHD. Mm. I think you can grow out of it, I think is part of it. But I used to have real brain fog, really, really distractible. And I still am a bit, but like so distractible. I found it so hard to concentrate. And um, I read up on ADHD and they basically said that like your brain functions in this really weird way where it's like a very bright light being switched on. But then when it's off, you're fucking knackered and you need to sleep oh. in like more ways. Like, and, and I do think that 
you know, human beings are so wildly different from one another in ways that we don't really appreciate. And we try and, yeah. like, put this, like, standardisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's too hard. There was this, there was an article about fat people where there was these people who'd done this, uh, what's the American program? Oh, the Biggest Loser, biggest, yeah. yeah. Where they would lose all the weight. Yeah. And then they would just gain it back like that. Yeah. And they would get like that and more because their bodies, which that's just how bodies work. Yeah. Like if you lose the weight, you can't, you just can't. If you're fat, you'll just stay fat. Because mm. then it didn't matter what, they would have to eat like well, like three peas and then they'd be fat again because that's just how the body works. Well, and also it's because anything extreme like that, mm. your body's just going, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I did this reality show called The Island where you don't eat for two weeks. They drop you on this island and you only eat coconuts and you eat what you can catch. I lost so much weight. Bizarrely, I was suddenly like thinner than I've been in years and I couldn't cope with it a lot of people on the island were really thrilled but I started crying because I was mm. like I spent so long in my life not having it like to get to a point where I didn't want to be like this mm. but I put on weight straight away like within a week I put on like a stone and a half or something because your body's like oh thank god mm. don't worry we won't let that happen again yeah and I think for me like I, I am trying to lose a tiny bit of weight because I really like the idea of feeling really healthy and less flabby but it's not a goal it's like mm. an implicit small thing the idea that if I eat healthy in the long term my body will adjust in a manner that's slightly healthier that's my main goal right but I have no intention of like weighing myself measuring myself too much caring about it too much yeah and I think as women god you get so much distraction and time wasting people are trying to make you focus on that yeah and that just and we've the, got shit to do i wish the the feeling of i wish the feeling healthy had nothing to do with the body and how it looked like oh the aesthetics God. if the feeling of health could just be you know well-being yeah or having eaten something that's uh, not ha that doesn't have a lot of uh, extra chemicals and yes if it's eating. just like eating a, a organic a pear yeah I know exactly and do you know yeah. as well like again and I feel like it's a gift to be in my 30s because I don't know why but I just give so much less of a fuck and I like myself and quite often I look in the mirror and I don't want this to sound vain because I don't think I'm hot shit but I look in the mirror and I'm like I like how I look and I feel pretty and I feel happy in my body and all these amazing things that for years I would look in the mirror and get angry and pinch my fat and tell me how ugly I was, you know? Oh it's such a fucking waste. Do you ever think of yourself as like a teenager and you just want to hug yourself? Yeah. Thank Although God. weirdly as a teenager I was kind of quite bold and brazen. Yeah? It's only really in my 20s that really? the stress of people performing, being a performer and people talking about your body. Were you yeah. shocked the first time, like when you entered comedy, did you, were you forced to see yourself in another light because people started telling you? Yeah. The first time people would really, really read about my body online, about how fat and grotesque I was and like sexualized me, did really, really shock me. And it stayed mm. with me for years. I think what happens with me is I'm, I'm quite thick skinned, but then sometimes things get to me emotionally and I can't let it go. It just hurts mm. for so long. Do you know when it hits you and when it doesn't? Yeah, and it's weird. Like, yeah. it, it, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And oh, it's now randomly. things really don't as much. Oh, cool. So rare. You know, I've had people really grotesque recently and so rare that it affects me. So you get quite battle-hardened. 
that's quite a wonderful thing about being a woman, isn't it? Like, mm. yeah, you've got all the shit, but as a result, you're a fucking tough bastard mm. compared to your male counterparts. Mm. I once uh, I was in a in a car with a comedian, not the same horrible ending as your story, but he took um, he had his iPad and he took like a really weird like a quick photo just uh, of me from like a weird angle, and then he was like, "Get this, this is really funny," and then he put up the photo, which was just like a blurry part of my face, and he put it on his Twitter and said. Uh, my brother was in the hospital and uh, someone took his iPad and th this person accidentally took a photo of themselves. <laughs> and this is the photo. <laughs> Retweet really to get the iPad. And it's really funny. <laughs> and then the abuse started coming in on my behalf. Just go, oh, what a fat cunt. And, da -da -da -da. and I, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, I kind of knew that would happen. I kind of assumed that would happen because it's a picture of a woman on the internet. Of course, people are going to start going. <sighs> and he was so shocked. And he huh. was apologizing. Uh -huh. I'm so sorry. I had no, oh my, how I, can you believe this? I was like, yeah. Uh, you go, uh, yeah, this is yeah. a bread and butter. Yeah. I was talking to someone about this the other day where they were talking about people changing their name when they get married and about how he suddenly realized that he would actually hate to change his name. It would make mm -hmm. him feel awful and aggrieved. And I was like, that's uh, how I feel. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of the time, and it's not men's fault in the slightest, and also like, you know, it's. You know, everyone has their own struggles to go through, and I'm not trying to diminish anything, but I think sometimes people f don't see the extent of other people's experiences. And a friend of mine wrote an article um, about experiences he'd had of racist abuse in his lifetime. Mm. And even though I'm not naive enough to think that racism doesn't exist, didn't exist, or you know, stuff like that, or something. The way he talked about it, it's a really interesting article and I would recommend it. His name's Nick Eshukla and I think it's called Isolated Incidents. If you Google that, or just Google him and the article. But he talks about how the, a couple of incidents affected him so much. And I mean, they're all big deal incidents as well. But like, I think it, it's so hard to appreciate what other people have to go through on like a micro level and an everyday level. And... Um, God, it's so useful. That's why mm. it's annoying that women's voices and people's voices aren't those of straight white men get excluded so much from yeah. the mainstream because then people don't know about their stories or they're kind yeah. of abused so much they don't want to tell their stories anymore. You know? Yeah, we, and we maybe not, we might not necessarily always know what isn't normal. Yeah. You know, when you, oh, you realise, like, oh, yeah. oh, you never get that? Oh, yeah. that's just, I always get that. Do you know Twitter's changed my life? Because the first instances of online abuse, and I've talked about this on your podcast, I think, yeah. that I got well, before Twitter, and I just took it all on board. I, like, sucked it all up like a sponge. Whereas now, what is amazing, I think it's far more normal for women to speak out about their experiences. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm yeah. very grateful to, like, the Everyday Sexism Project for that. I honestly feel like people are getting a handle on it. And yeah. you know when you get that bad feeling that it's worth sharing just in case, mm, you know? Yeah, and I think, I think the only thing we really need is to get, like, Facebook and Twitter on board as well. Yeah. To make, you know... Fuck me. Twitter was so useless when I had someone oh, photoshopping yeah. my face onto murder victims. Holy it's shit. It's so fucking useless. Fuck. Yeah, and the police as well. Pretty rubbish, actually. Really depressing. It's, it's, it feels like that's what we, we really need to get. Because one thing is getting the support, which is yeah. important, but we need to be able to push a button and then someone finds their IP address and I mean just I mean not like and kills them but you know like they could try but I mean I mean I wouldn't you know figuring out that other people have I had this and I talked about this on another episode listening to the read a podcast 
which is uh, to to um, to people of color who do this podcast. And the first advert they played in the first episode I heard was an advert for um, uh, like natural black hair products. And mm. I was like, in the inst- like my first instinct thought was, oh, but that's not for me. And just a tiny bit of, oh shit, wow, I just felt excluded from something. Mm-hmm whoa I've never tried that before huh. and then you kind of realize oh if you look, think about all the commercials on TV for like you know white hair yeah you go oh yeah and it's such an and that's not because we don't know it exists or we no, don't no, think it's it, an it, I think it is the process of trying to educate yourself mm. is really difficult and prickly and yeah but it's and it is a it's like a do it's a practice isn't it I was thinking about that with Twitter, like a lot of things really have challenged me on Twitter, like just learning more about what racism is and what racism isn't and what it means for people's lives oh, and yeah. about what, how privileged I am in so many ways. And yeah, there's so much like that, that yeah, through learning it, it is a challenge because you're sort of made uncomfortable because you kind of go like, oh, I thought I was a good person, mm. but that's not enough. Oh yeah, I spoke to a, you're a good person. I spoke to a friend of mine who's a white straight male. He's all of the things, yeah. and uh, and he'd said something that was a bit sexist. And he's a friend of mine. So we'd spoken about it, and I basically just went, "This is why what you said is wrong," and you know, let's have a debate. And he didn't understand it, so I kept explaining, "Oh, this is because of this and this and this." And he kept asking questions. I kept explaining. At the end, he got so frustrated, and he said, "Oh, it's too complicated. You know what? I'm not even going to bother." And oh, I was like, no. "Yeah, but that's you." That's because you can not bother. Yeah. You can choose to not yes. let this affect you in any way. Yes. And you, you'll still be fine. Yes. But we have to bother with it because it's our everyday life. And that's the biggest... It gets so frustrated when you go, oh shit, this is reliant on people having to make a decision that they're going to get involved in something that's kind of the, not so much fun. Yes, absolutely. But this is the same as like when you're trying to think about wealth inequality. The way, the only way to solve wealth inequality is to try and convince very wealthy people that it's fair and right that they are less wealthy. Oh God, and that's really fucking hard. I and it know. doesn't even oh really God. inconvenience them because there's a plateau after which you know it's academic whether you've got a million pounds or a billion pounds in certain ways, you know. But it's that same thing, like do you want to hear asking sad? privilege to surrender itself. Oh what God, the fuck? You can't do you know, that. people don't want to surrender their privilege. Do you want yeah. to hear something really sad? Yeah, I was, uh, I was a ch- I worked for UNICEF for a period of time uh, as a fundraiser, and we were operating in this very, very, very posh place of, in Copenhagen, and there was this man, like, literally wearing like a fur coat. Oofed. I had to convince him to give money to UNICEF and we're talking 10 pounds a month like mm. <laughs> it's nothing mm. and uh, and he and he had a son with him I was holding his hands he's like 5 or 6 years old and he said to me like he'd never heard about it before he was like no there's it's not a problem I was like no yeah there are kids dying and it's horrible and they're very hungry and he was like he said well we've all tried to be hungry it's not like it hurts and I was like Wait, what? And oh then he said, um, but in their religion, which is a very offensive way of saying it, but he said, in their religion, because they believe in all these gods, so if they die, they'll just be like, oh, that's good. They are with their gods. And, and, oh <laughs> and I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. And I kept trying to talk to him. Kept, And then I think I spoke to him for about, I don't know, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Uh, I, my, you know, my... Uh, it was like 20 minutes after I, it was my day uh, my day was ended uh, 
and I was still just talking to him because I couldn't, I couldn't have him say that in front of his child. So eventually the child just looked at his dad and went, but why aren't we helping? And then I was like, oh, uh, well, uh, boy. <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, it's a, and the, the kid was like, no, but we should help. And then the dad was like, oh, okay, fair enough. And he huh? ended up donating. Amazing. But, just that, by a child. but one thing is that they, you know, just that he didn't know. He didn't even know. It wasn't that he knew and then not cared. Yeah. It was just no but one had told I, I him. I think privilege is like something that you get ensconced in. You're looked after by it. And that's why I think a lot of the problems in the UK are about is because a lot of the people in government have lived their whole lives in the upper echelons of the most beautiful, rarefied, privileged parts of society and they really don't understand what poverty is and they really are sheltered from the realities of it and they really can't conceptualise how many millions of people are suffering in the country, you know? And so they do sort of not really believe it could be true and they don't understand about the knock-on effects of poverty or, you know, one thing leading to another getting worse and worse and worse because... It's like, you know, it's like the Pope song, you'll never understand how it feels to live your life with no meaning or control. All that shit. Now, what is this podcast? What did you want to talk about? Well, it kind of leads me into... Because it's, it's really fun, because you're... Okay, I don't know how to phrase this so I don't sound like a massive dweeb. Oh my God, I love being a dweeb. It's my life. <laughs> but that's the whole point, is you're, you're like a cool dweeb. Thanks. Do you know what I mean? Oh my god, I love you. You're you're in the group of really cool people. Like you hang out with the cool people. Hang out with. Well, you know the cool people. Sure. (laughs) You know what I mean. You're doing this. You know, you're part of the. You know, the stand crew. Oh yeah. Got a tip. (gasps) I decided this when I was 11 years old, and it stood me in good stead. Right. This doesn't mean that people won't think you're a wanker and hate you. But what it does mean is you will have a better experience of being alive. When I was 11, I decided that I would just assume everything I was doing was really, really cool and pretend that I was cool in my head, right? <laughs> just presume. So everything I did, I was like, this is so cool. I think, And I don't mean that in a bragging way. I just mean I just decided not to worry about whether or not I was going to be cool. I just decided to just assume that I was being fucking cool. It's been great. You get, to, you feel like you're having more fun, when and I think 11? that's my top tip. Yeah, that's because I was really bullied good. and I was like overweight and I was having a terrible time. So I was like, "Fuck this, chess club's cool. It's cool. <laughs> Me going to the shop, that's cool." <laughs> Just decided. That's amazing. Does that change your like actions then? Does that yeah, change how, when what you about, do? Yeah, when I was a teenager, I really, really used to act a lot out of bravado. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether it's actually good advice, but I think it helps for kind of. Not doubting yourself, just getting on with your shit and trying to have the best time possible, you know? I sat, before I went here, I sat next door and there was like a, a, a sat like by the bar and I never sat by the bar because <laughs> I have angst about people walking behind me. But then because I knew I only had to be there for like 10 minutes and I just sat there and I ordered a Coke yeah. <laughs> and I felt so cool. So fucking cool. Like in the movies, like in the Western yeah. films. And I was like, hey, mind if I sit down here? Like, Thank you. I'm just so at the bar cool. having a yeah. cook. Oh, I felt so cool. And then, like, seconds after, I was standing at the door to the club 
just being in the way, being like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'll hold the door for you. I'll I'm the same. <laughs> I apologise. I'm so fucking awkward. I'm so pathetic. But like, so in that situation, you would have gone. It's really cool standing here holding the door for them. No, I no, I would have been the same. No. I would have been like, I'm so sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> so maybe that's not true. I think maybe just in terms of like the projects I was doing, I don't fucking oh, know. I just cool. sometimes I think that I decided that. I don't know. I just decided when I was a teenager that like. Of course what I'm doing is cool. Doing loads of cool stuff, you know. But in terms of that, I think you may have, maybe that's the reason why you've managed to kind of create this new idea of cool. I don't know how new it is, but... Oh, I don't think I did that. I think I think you're, because you're a cool person to like. Oh, my right? God. For like, com- this is too much flattery. I hope nobody... <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I don't think I am. And I think... Um, I don't know. It's funny because you'll get this. You see all the reactions to your stuff you know mm. so you never would think of yourself in I suppose I don't know what I'm trying to say but like I know there's plenty of people out there who think that what I do is the saddest weebiest shittest thing in the world you know so like mm. it would be very hard for me to be like oh I think I'm cool okay okay <laughs> but I like it I think so much I, this is so nice of I you. think I, I know what up. I'm saying okay. no it's, it's okay. my way of phrasing it I think no, I think you're nice. making a group of people who didn't feel like they were cool feel like part of a cool club i'm so glad do you know what i mean yeah that's my dream right yeah it makes sense because because we met did we meet was that the first time we met was that at your um what's it called the gig gig. lost treasures yes yeah i feel like that was when we met yeah i think so and that had that feeling of you you know it's defiance (laughs) but that's what i'm saying about deciding that what i do is cool is like yeah like I just want to get on with my stuff and be who I am and be totally unashamed of it. I want to do as much as possible and really, really enjoy my life as much as I can. And I want people who feel that way or who feel akin to me in some way or who are nervous young women or, or, you know, women who don't necessarily feel like they fit in with certain definitions of femininity or young men or or people who would consider themselves gender non-binary, also very, very welcome on my shows. But I want anyone like that to feel... Yeah, I would love it, the idea that they'd feel like there's someone who's got their back a bit so they can just get on with their stuff and enjoy it and make stuff and be vital and have fun, you know, and not have to feel like they have to apologise for their niche tastes or their unusual hobbies or their, you know, unpopular choices or the fact that they're not mainstream, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was. That was what, that's oh, what I was getting. Well, I'm very flattered because I feel like that's definitely part of what I want is to be able to support people who want to be a bit creative or a bit DIY or just a bit eccentric. Yeah, and have a place they can go yeah. to be with other people. Like, oh, that's that is the dream, isn't it? Yeah. Just, is that because did you need that when you were? Did you have that, or did you need that when you were? A, a, a yeah, weird I teenager. I had it a bit, but I also always felt a bit of a weirdo. I went to a grammar school, which in some ways was very good for me because it didn't, you weren't bullied if you were academic, and I really was. Mm. And so it was like nerds were cool at our school, which Amazing. is very much not the case. Yeah. <laughs> Although recently, I suppose, nerd culture or geek culture seemingly is very cool. But like, I did used to go on this thing called Gifted Children's Summer Camp, wow. which is like X Men, but without the superpowers. <laughs> I didn't really deserve to be there. There were a lot of kids there who were fucking amazing and they're all, like, academics, world-changing people now. And I basically used to, like, chat and do collages. (laughs) But it was a place where, like, we were really supported to do things that were just strange 
extracurricular little projects, you know. I was very, very lucky to have that because it really was like a safe space for eccentricity. How old were you when you went there? Uh, first time I went, I was about 11. Like 11. I came back till I was about 18. Oh, wow, that's a yeah, nice... every summer. That's a nice time to have that. Yeah, it was So wonderful. already by the age of 11, you didn't feel like you... You felt a bit like a weirdo. Yeah, so I was sort of... I changed primary school when I was about nine because I didn't really... I was, used to get in trouble the whole time. Because <sighs> I was a little bit... I think I was a bit frustrated because I was quite academic and I just was very frustrated so I just wanted to see how much trouble I could get in and get away with. So I did all that. And, um, uh, yeah, and then they referred me to this Gifted Children's Summer Camp. It was like a special needs thing. It was like, what is going on with this weird little kid? But, yeah, I definitely felt... And also, like, I was big. Like, I'm five foot five now and I've been five foot five since I was about ten. When I was about 10, I was heavier than I am now. I was like a very, like, unusual specimen of a 10-year-old, you know? And I think I felt very gawky and I loved comedy and wanted to make people laugh, but it was like a defence mechanism in lots of ways. And so I felt like this natural awkwardness of bad posture and self-consciousness, you know? And on top of that, being a world-class spod. So stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely felt like that. And how do you feel now? Do you still...? No, I feel fine I feel like I'm being made aware that I am more niche politically personally than perhaps I would like but I also feel like I am what I am and nothing you know nothing is going to force that to change in a way that I'm not comfortable with you know I feel more defiant than ever it's been such an uncertain year and so difficult in lots of ways and I've had a breakup this year that you know it's really great that we're still friends and I love him very dearly but it's sad and you know I want kids I don't know if I'm going to have them blah 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 so I feel loads of uncertainty but at the same time like I feel more defiant than ever I feel like the more hard it is, the more my responsibility to fucking keep going, the more difficult things are politically, the more I refuse to give up just to spite people who want me to, you know? It's like when you're dying at a gig and you think, oh, you think this is dying? Nah, mate, I'm going to make this so hard for you motherfuckers, you know? You don't like this? Well, how about you don't like this 20 minutes about a push-button shower, <laughs> you know? So I feel more proud. Where'd you get that from? Because I can kind of relate, but I don't know how... I think we... I mean, and especially as women, we're kind of being taught to bow down, you yeah. know? It's like, there's a lot up. of shame and guilt and yeah, shut yeah, up yeah. and... So what how do you think you got? How dare you think you can have a platform? Yeah, but for you to have made the decision as an 11-year-old to go, what I'm going to do is cool, <laughs> and for you to now to go, well, fuck this, I'm just going to be... Def- where do you get your defiance from? Um, or how, how, how would one get to be defiant? Well, just accept. I've been saying a lot on stage, I'm still here. You're still here. If then, it's like, don't let the fuckers bring you down. Like, Mm. it's basically, how dare somebody waste your time and take away your, like, power and impetus in this world? Like, if you have things that you want to achieve, provided they're for the good of the world, you know, I'm not saying any sinister supervillain things, but, like... I don't know, I think in some ways your temperament is a thing you've got shackled to forever. And I'm quite lucky that nearly every day my temperament resets and I'm like, come on then. And I am quite lucky that I think it's a good philosophy to have where you say you're going to try and enjoy the details of your life as much as possible. 
and I feel like that like meals you mm. know like um walking outside in the sun hitting your face small good things in my first show I ever wrote I used to tell, get people to tell me a small good thing but like I honestly think if you can enjoy the meat and potatoes of your life literally and metaphorically mm-hmm. you're in such good stead for trying to keep going but also like there's something so thrilling and joyful about keeping on going I guess I don't know it's just in my temperament to want to have a fucking belter of a life and to want to not let people beat me and I grew up in my teenage years I had a bit of a difficult situation if my mum's listening I hope she isn't Um, like my stepdad it was a very difficult time and I I found it very um, hard to have a lot of um, I don't know how to explain it a lot of um, things in my home life that were trying to break me, I suppose. It was like a very difficult situation at home. And so I was kind of obsessed with, like, I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to have a great life. I'm going to get out of this. So it's like it comes in a way of spirit of defiance from, like, perhaps having a bit of a difficult time as a teenager and stuff. And I think sometimes if you've if you have to deal with difficult circumstances it's like the human spirit to be like nah mate we're gonna fucking get through this do you ever but have an, a kind of like in, in like the shame part of your brain do you ever have that voice that goes um, you've created this monster huh I got because my grandfather is a, is a psychopath but we still have to, I have to visit him to visit my grandmother who's oh, fine gosh. and I would I've taken like 60 pound cabs just so that he wouldn't drive me huh. and just be like fuck you I don't want you to drive me I don't want you to be in control of my life yeah. I don't want you to be in the passengers I want, don't want to be in your passenger seat I'm just gonna f- I'm gonna walk it's gonna take me four hours but I I'm gonna feel proud of myself yeah. at the end <laughs> yeah I do know what you mean like a lot of my life has been about being very independent because for whatever reason you know as soon as I left home for uni that was kind of that for me like I've always spent a lot of time fending for myself in a lot of ways and that's not to do my parents down they're wonderful people and I've got good you know pretty good relationships best relationship I've had with them for years really at the moment and I'm proud of that I'm glad but for whatever reason I was really you know quite independent me and my sister really and like I feel proud of that I like that but Oh god, I sound really sleepy. No, um, you are sleepy, mm, but it's okay. I'm sorry. It's Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> this is also very this comfortable. It's so comfy. We're sort of lying on sofas, whispering. <laughs> um, hang on, let me try and think about that. It's hard because I like the idea of giving advice or being useful for people, but I also think. I don't ever want to sound smug or something, you know, like I feel like I've got stuff down because I don't know. I think life is really more difficult than I used to think it is. It's complicated. and But also, like, <coughs> I think it's good not to let yourself get bitter, mm. you know. It's good and it, to, like, keep your power. And I think, because I used to have this thing on stage in 2012, I no one ever says, guess who I'm bringing on the expedition? This bitter, shriveled-up old husk. <laughs> Oh, they'll bring down morale. Oh, they'll ruin it. You know, and I think that's genuinely important. Like, you have to try and fake it even when you can't. You have to try and just not be bitter, be joyful and excited about living and learning and experiencing because you will have a better life from that. (coughs) And the more fun you have in your life, the more power you have, like, the more people who do hurt you can't take that away from you. 
you know? You said once, uh, and I, I don't remember if I've read it somewhere, if I heard you say it, and I will probably misquote you, uh, something about, it was from your time at school, and you said you, you realized that some kids weren't necessarily bright more than they were just confident. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it was at uni. I was so intimidated by all these very, very confident, rich kids at uni. And some of them were, oh, the smartest people I've ever met. Some of them brilliant people, you know. Got to have nuance in this. But it took me two years to realise that, yeah, some of them, they were just confident in a way that I wasn't because for whatever reason, my upbringing or whatever had beaten a lot of that out of me. And, And just because... In, even my grammar school which was a brilliant school I was really pleased with it and stuff but those people have been consistently taught that they were born to lead which you know we were a little bit but not in the same way and those people have this inbuilt I say those people <laughs> I think people from extreme privilege you know it it protects them and it bolsters them and it gives them so much which again now I don't think they're totally aware of but the level of confidence is astonishing and it was about it was to do with what's emergency sorry I'm just opening a bottle (laughs) it was to do with um, trying to take on their sense of entitlement but to do it in a manner that wasn't about acquisition of wealth it was about trying to make things more equitable you know but I think because that, that could easily be a way of, oh nothing. Yeah. That could easily be a way of dealing with uh, with feeling weird or left out. Because I, that realization that everyone you see, that you assume have everything together, might not have to have it. To, it might all they might, might also be, a sham. be. Yeah. Or also, you know, there's that quote which is such a laugh, which is, um, you know, oh Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yeah. But like, you're allowed to affect that. You're allowed to say to yourself, okay, today I'm not going to be the me that's nervous. Today I'm going to be me that is pretending to be this wonderful person, you know? And sometimes faking it till you make it really, really works. But also, yeah, like, people assume... And I did for a while, like, I remember... I I feel like I'm coming out of a five-year period of real turmoil and adjustment, you know? Like, I broke up with someone and I... I was really, really cut up about it for a long time. And I was in a very destructive relationship for a couple of years with somebody. I was in a lovely relationship with somebody after that and now we're still friends. But, like, I felt a lot of inner turmoil. And sometimes I'd look at other people whose families were really together or who just seemed to be flying really high. Mm. I'd be thinking, God, it's easy for them, you know, but it's never easy for anyone, even people Mm. from privilege. Like, it's silly for me to go, oh, they do this, that, the other, because... You know, people from privilege can be massively emotionally neglected and have a horrible time at schools that are very, very, you know, good for them in some ways. You know, like, everyone is going through something. And there's that thing as well where they say, like, treat everyone with the tenderness that they've had bad news today, as if they've had bad oh, news today. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and, like, I think um, it's hard when you're talking about politics not to foster some sort of enmity or com- comparison and stuff. But, like, yeah, you think that someone who's very bold and bolshy is like flying high but they probably got loads of shit going on as well I feel it every time I stub my toe because huh. I, I, it, it, it hurts me in so many ways mm. <laughs> I feel stupid for not remembering that the bed was there yeah. I feel the immense pain and I just think everyone does this and I bet everyone in the world feels as much pain when they stub their yeah. toe and everyone does it yeah all the time I feel like a big connection I think that. you're very hard on yourself 
That's my that's my cold reading of you. Really? Yeah, I think that sounds like you're quite hard on yourself if you're like, I'm so stupid for hurting myself. <laughs> no, but I, I externalise it so I go, oh, stupid toe. <laughs> you should have known. I'm you fine. I knew it was toe. there. This <laughs> brain new stupid toe. <laughs> I think but the thing is a good point that um, my psychologist used to say it uh, in terms of, uh, she used to say, basically it's a very common thing of going would you be this hard on anyone else oh my god turn the voice around completely changed my life you're so right that thing of i used to be so mean to myself and cruel about my body in a way that like friends bodies i see them as beautiful yeah the full range of them and also like like just getting like getting beyond so much judgment yeah. celebration not judgment oh yeah what can we get out of this as opposed to what's going on but also yeah like I used to be so hard on myself and now I'm like you know we, we've got this thing in Arts Emergency on the wall where we've written we do what we can and it's the same like I think when I was trying to get over things through therapy about my parents and things that had happened I used to feel so let down by them and now I do just think like people try as they hard as they can in the circumstances and mm-hmm. life it's very hard for everyone. Everyone has... You can't escape the shit. You know, the yeah. shit will show up for you regardless. And just trying to step back as and when you can. You yeah. Know? Fuck me. So useful. Yeah. It's... Yeah. it's I, and you get it from other people as well. Where I, I remember confronting my dad, being like, you weren't there when I was a child. And him saying, oh, no, but he's... <laughs> He's, he's not the brightest, but he said, uh, oh, but kids, like, they don't know how it's meant to be, so they won't take any damage from the dad not being there because they don't know there's meant to be a dad. Oh, God. And that's how I could see his logic. I could see and how he like, reached I that. lived in the world amongst <laughs> other kids who had dads. Like yeah. fiction, where dads were. <laughs> but I can see how, you know, in yeah. terms of how intelligent he can possibly be, that was probably the level of it. But also the decisions people make to get through their lives because mm. deep down he would have felt so many difficult feelings of guilt and sadness and separation and all that stuff and sometimes people have to go yep yeah, I fucked that up yeah, straightforward exactly. on. And, you through. and you kind of because uh, when I then said no that's not how life works and he just got really quiet for like a long time and I, I could feel it entering his brain slowly yeah. his teeny tiny brain yeah. and it entered Aww. it very very slowly and then he, he and, and, and he tried to make it up to me <laughs> By inviting me over for bar- for a barbecue, and then oh, he that's all too, and yeah. then he basically he basically <laughs> talked for twenty hours, and he just talked and talked cause, and I, I, he wouldn't let me get a word in, and he was just talking about he was just telling every everything that happened with me during my whole life, and after about like three hours, I realized, oh, he's he's trying to be a dad. He's trying to be a dad oh. now. He's like just going, oh, well, oh, she was right. Oh, I fucked up. Well, I guess I'll have to tell her about the time this happened and the time. Oh. And it was so, you know, it was so useless. And I know, it but didn't it's help. So beautiful. But it was maybe the only thing he could do, yeah. as well as leaving was the only thing he could do. And then you all, then you just have all this, uh, like, uh, sadness and yeah. angst and and. and and you just have nowhere to put you have no one to blame and you can just go he did the best he could yeah. it wasn't good enough but he yeah. did the best he could and also like you're allowed to feel those feelings like when I was going through stuff when I was a teenager like I wasn't really I, we lived in this flat where you could hear each other breathing so I didn't feel like I could even cry in the flat you know because I didn't want to be heard I didn't want to give people satisfaction you know like I I developed this way of being that was like 
I don't feel negative emotions. I'm a positive person. This doesn't affect me. Nothing affects me, you know. Mm. And so, like, I broke up with my... Uh, I got my heart broken when I was 19. And instead of letting myself heal, I was too kind of damaged. I just jumped into things. But I thought I was being very mature, you know. Mm. And I just thought, I don't need to get over things. I'm busy. I'm getting on with it. Uh, I don't, you know... Pardon me, my childhood hasn't affected me, blah, blah, blah. And it was only when I started going to therapy... I let myself be sad, really, really sad about it. And appreciate that you're a full human being and you're allowed all your emotions, you know? And that sometimes means you're going to be a jerk. <laughs> but that's part of life, you know? Did you have that in the, right when you started learning that, where you would just be really, really sad for no reason? Yes. Like, you'd, you know, they would have no more popcorn at the cinema and you'd just have a full-on breakdown because you're just letting up like all the yes. sadness when you were six and just go <laughs> yes there was literally a period of my life in 2012 where I'd broken up with someone a year before I was in this really toxic relationship and every afternoon I would go home to have a cry and I didn't know why yeah and it was because I was just it was like yeah. It was like bleeding a radiator. Yeah, exactly. It was like, you got to yeah. bleed the radiators. You haven't done it for 20 years, yeah. so you just got to bleed it. We did it with anger, me and my therapist. Wow. Uh, Do you know, I'm, I never properly confronted my anger. Ooh, my therapist oh my was God. like, Get excited. you're in drugs. Get excited. I was, and she, you know, she, we did this whole session. She told me about how, you know, let it out, da, 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 let yourself be angry. And the first thing I did right after the, the session, I met with my best friend. She said she didn't want to have pasta, so I punched her in the face, which is awful. But my whole, it was just, and I told my therapist, she was like, okay, really back a bit, really back. <laughs> Take it back again. I've gone a little bit too far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I was so, I was like, oh my, and everyone was shocked and it was horrible, but it, I was, it just comes out and you, then you can't control it because it's like you're, all of a but sudden you're five again and you're screaming on the pavement. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. And it's happened with me on stage, I think. I've had a lot of anger on stage in the last few years, which I think wow. were things that I was also dealing with personally. There's a bit in Hope in the Dark where she says, be wary when activists seem to broadcast and forecast despair because sometimes it's just their own personal lives. Oh, you know? that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, full on though. Not that I've ever... Oh gosh, yeah, I need to go yeah. soon. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, that's absolutely fine. Thank Is you. Is this helpful? It's, it's so, so nice to sit and chat. Listen, I, I, it's funny with things like this because... I think I'm more self-conscious than ever at the moment in some ways. And the one thing I would want is I would hate for people to think that I know what they should do in their lives. But I think with things like this, like if you're talking about how to get through life, it's so important to think like, one, you're not alone. Two, it's never the end. Like, don't let it be the end. Three, like things change in ways that are so surprising and delightful and that, that is inevitable. And four, like, genuinely fake it till you can make it. My friend who's the woman that I was talking about the day I was in the car crash, she always has got this maxim, which is accept, adapt, have a laugh. <laughs> the three A's. <laughs> accept, adapt, have a laugh. And I always think of that, like, some of it is about, like, okay, what is the truth of the situation? What do I have to do to get through this situation? How can we have a bit of fun? And we say that's emergency. Optimism is a weapon, and if all else fails, be silly. That's good as well. That's really lovely. And also, everything you do is cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give it a go. What I say, if you're a young person listening to this or an older person listening to this and you've always felt like, oh no, I'm not allowed. Oh, it's all right for them. Just pretend that you're fucking James Dean or someone you think is cooler than James Dean. Just pretend that you're young Marlon Brando in Streetcar, but you're not a cunt. Just, just let yourself believe that you're fucking cool. Like, just been nice about being single again is 
I thought that no one would ever, ever find me attractive and having little romances and intrigues. And you find yourself strutting about, you know, like, mum's got a groove back. It's a fucking delightful feeling. It's wonderful to feel like that, to feel like people find you attractive or you might every now and again feel like hot shit. And I'm not saying you feel like that all the time because you're never going to, you know, unless you're a cunt. But, like, you know, let yourself have a strut, you know? The best part about little flirts and stuff is (gasps) arguing in the rain. Mm. Oh, God, I love it so much. Mm. You piss me off so much, are you? (laughs) So good, I love it. You're an idiot, am I? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much for doing this. It's such a delight to talk to you. Thank you for being so complimentary about my ridiculous life. Your coolness. (laughs) I I bought onto it. You're so cool. You're cool. (laughs) You're cool. Do you want to do Facebook, Twitter? When when do you reckon you'll put this up? Absolutely not sure. Okay, well, um, if I'm already dead, RIP me. Peace out in heaven now um, I'll milk that so hard oh I just said this on my podcast oh my last words probably oh make it oh god I hope I'm not dead if I'm dead just remember it was far too soon it was a tragic waste um, I have a twitter Josie Long I rant about politics I'm so sorry I'm not sorry I am sorry um, you can find my dealings on my website I've got a feature film that I'm making for no money that'll be out next year I'll be on tour in 2017 I'm writing a theatre show in 2017 Edinburgh next year I've got Irons in the Fire Shortcuts Radio 4 just you know keep on keeping on lads <laughs> <laughs>